0: And welcome to the dirt. This is the podcast that prunes out any negativity around gardening failures. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine,
1: and I'm Emily, Grow Your Own senior content creator. In the first episode of this brand new series, we'll be discussing Jimmy Doherty's tips for caring for bees in autumn, reusing fallen leaves, and hidden treasures in the garden. But first, we're joined by food writer and kitchen gardener Kathy Slack.
2: Hi, Kathy. Hello, very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Um, how are things in your garden? Have you been um, having all, well, actually, this probably won't go out at the time that I'm saying this, but have you had all the dry weather where you are?
2: Well, I was going to say my garden's feeling quite thirsty at the moment um it's just been a weird growing season for me I mean they never there's never a regular one is there but mm. I feel like the spring everything was really slow to start in the spring and I was sitting on my hands until the weather warmed up and then I planted everything I was super excited and not much really happened and <laughs> then everything took off finally but then it got so dry it's mm. been um it's been, I mean, every year is interesting, isn't it? But this has been particularly interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really has. I feel like there's never been a time where you can, if you didn't know the time of year, where you could look out the window and accurately guess the time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: and um, th- weird things are happening outside of the veg garden as well. So yeah. like the magnolias trying to flower again and the sweet peas finished earlier than I would have expected. And it's everything's just a bit topsy-turvy.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that is is definitely, definitely the way of putting it. Um, (laughs) But before we dive into our our questions, I wondered if you'd be able to tell our listeners a bit about your beautiful new book that's out now, because um, people will obviously be harvesting things from their gardens and allotments, and it would be a very handy companion for that.
2: Mm. Oh, thank you. Well, yes, that was where the idea came about. So the book's called from the veg patch clues in the name (laughs) and it's um 10 of my favorite vegetables and uh, each one gets a whole chapter to itself and I offer 10 different ways of using up that bounty Mm. and they're all dishes it's not vegetarian but it's mostly vegetarian because I like to put that particular vegetable front and center of the dish Mm because as a grower you will know that there's nothing more exciting than actually having managed to grow something so Mm -hmm. you don't want to sort of swamp it with sauces and other ingredients you want it like front and center and hero of the plate so um the the vegetables that I picked are all vegetables that I am incapable of growing a sensible amount of <laughs> and end up with a massive glut. So there's a glut every season. If it's leeks, there's a glut. If it's courgettes, there's a glut. Everyone has a glut yeah. of courgettes. If it's um, beetroot, there's a glut. If it's the green beans, it's even if it's the lettuces, mm. there's a whole field of them. So <laughs> it, the book came about because I'm so good at growing gluts and bad at growing anything else. But <laughs> I felt like I had to deal with um, as many different ways of dealing with this uh, this bounty as I could. So it yeah. was a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to write. I've loved doing it. Oh. Was
0: it um, really difficult to choose the 10, though? Oh, so
2: difficult. I really want to do a volume two. <laughs> um, but I tried to pick vegetables that were um, quite familiar, but also fairly easy to grow if you don't have much growing experience and Mm. would work in small spaces or pots. I think probably leeks and tomatoes are the most technical Mm. of the 10 vegetables. But, you know, there's lettuce and beetroot and courgettes and beans and kale and things that are relatively straightforward to grow in small spaces or for newbies. Um, because I wanted it to feel, as you will know, I defy anyone not to be amazed when they put a seed in the ground and it turns into a plant. And yeah. The more people that I can encourage to do that by offering up delicious recipes and accessible vegetables, then the better.
1: Yeah. Mm, that sounds amazing and like you say the fact that you're so good at growing glut suggests that your plot is very productive so what would you say are your biggest successes on on the plot have been so far
2: well it's um my vegetables and I are quite nomadic so my plot has moved quite a lot over the years um I don't have a particularly big garden mm. but recently I've moved the veg patch back to my own garden so my growing space is much much smaller than it was when I started writing the book um Mm -hmm. but the better for it I think but um I've been the joy of living in the Cotswolds which is where I live um is that you can usually throw yourself on the mercy of a benevolent hobby farmer nearby (laughs) who's got too much land and will happily give you some so mostly I've grown on other people's land in sort of garden veg gardens um or bits of bits of field and things like Mm. that and i think well annoyingly the most the best success i've ever had is a vegetable that i don't even know the name of (laughs) and i've never managed to find it or grow it since so it was this vine Um, maybe you guys all know actually it was this incredible vine that I was sent by somebody on I was sent the seeds by someone on Twitter Mm. that's what social media is great for (laughs) and I can't remember how we got into talking about it but they said oh my goodness you have to try this vegetable it's it was called maybe ancho ancho something like that Mm. and I popped the seed straight in the ground didn't really think too much about it and it was like a jungle. <laughs> this thing grew up I was growing at the time in a veg patch that had a um fruit cage. It was totally caged which was an incredible luxury. And this mystery plant just rambled its way all over the cage and it produced incredibly prolifically. It looked a bit like a grapevine but mm-hmm. much fleshier than that and it produced these incredible fruits that I could say we're probably closest to Padron peppers, and actually they tasted a bit like it in that slightly bitter way, and Mm. they were amazing char grilled on the um, or roasted or on the griddle. Um, they were so delicious, and I had kilos and kilos of them. Um, and and I've never I've never worked out what they were since.
0: So oh, the fact on postcard, that it was a surprise please. crop as yeah. well. That's it makes it even more exciting.
2: Well, this is what's so lovely about growing veg, isn't it? That you know, there's always something new to it. I've been growing very haphazardly for 13, 14 years, but I've um, but there's every year there's something. I go, goodness
0: me, I never knew that yeah yeah I think that's one of the really lovely things about growing um Mm. you mentioned growing um on other people's land as well have you found that obviously growing on in different sites can throw up challenges but have you also found that growing alongside other people has had its had its benefits as well (laughs) Um, I would say in both of those in the situations where I've been growing
2: elsewhere it's always been on a farm so Mm. it's not like I've been on an allotment with other growers so Mm. I've generally had a space to myself your neighbors therefore aren't people but they are farm animals (laughs) which can be good and bad so I've had instances which is quite lovely where you're sort of quietly weeding away and then you have this sort of sense that you're being watched and you turn around and there's a massive bull like in your face looking over the over the fence at you just watching you slightly menacingly um the the worst one was one year when uh the, the farmer i was growing on his um his pig his lady pig had a how should we put it, a gentleman visitor for a couple oh. days in the hope of there being more pigs. And the gentleman visitor decided to take her for a slap-up meal by taking the hinges. I'm not kidding. They took the hinges off the gate to the walled garden. Oh, no. <laughs> he oh. broke in in the middle of the night. And obviously the only thing they could, this must have been about sort of September, October time, the only thing they could see in the dark was my bright orange pumpkins.
0: Oh Which my. they proceeded
2: to take a bite out of every single one. Oh. I mean, what a date night, eh? Yeah, <laughs> fabulous. So I mean, he I knows how one, to treat I a kind lady. Of felt- I, f- I felt like i was owed a piglet at the end of that but yeah um, but never saw one
0: oh, well i mean um, you so, obviously created a lovely romantic ambiance so. <laughs> yeah
2: exactly oh man it was so disappointing though but uh, but they had a great night so um, mm. and and thus there were piglets so fine
0: yeah. the <laughs> um not obviously moving on now from pigs eating things to humans eating things um you also do supper clubs don't you
2: yeah I do they kind of came about out of necessity again back to the gluts because um in my household there's me my husband and our spaniel our Mm. spaniel's very partial to a green bean but (laughs) I always had too much to too much harvest particularly when I was growing in bigger spaces than I am now Mm. and So, and I find it really creative, um, cooking-wise, to have so much of a harvest and have have to do something with it. So I thought, well, I've got all these kilos of vegetables. I'll cook supper for more people than Mm. just me, or just me and my friends, and started selling tickets. And it was, um, it's a really lovely convivial thing to do and I put the food the the menus decided pretty much the day before based Mm -hmm. on whatever I've got in the garden and um and supplemented by local producers and things like that to to complete the dish it's rarely completely vegetarian but often fairly and then all the meal the dishes are all on big serving platters and everyone sits at a big table and ah, it was lovely particularly in the before times pre-covid which Um, was um very
0: lovely. So would you say then that the menus were very much, um, it it sounds like the menus were very much inspired by your garden but were you ever also in the position where the supper clubs had an impact on what you were going to grow? Had you ever sort of thought oh I'd love to do that so I'm going to give this try or did it tend to be the other way around?
2: It was mostly the other way around but there is certainly an element of there's a supper club in six weeks time let's hope these radishes germinate quickly yeah so there's a certain kind of planning um in that you you know you want to going to have some of those particularly lovely jewel like harvests like um you want to make sure that there's enough pumpkins or enough radishes or enough sort of beautiful show pieces or the calendula are looking lovely or the mm. nasturtiums are particularly prolific and that kind of thing so um so there's an element of that there's also an element of trying not to eat everything so that there's <laughs> enough for supper club because i've got such a smaller space than i used to have i tend to be like those beans look great but i'd better let's see if i can keep them on the vine for another four days for supper club or something like that
0: <laughs> yeah
1: oh i love it well you know it, it sounds like you've had say so many um success stories to tell and you know lots of things that have have gone right but what would you say has been your biggest mistake that you've made in your your growing time so far I I mean where to
0: begin
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think there are different types of growers aren't there like there's the growers who meticulously they kind of grow for the sake of growing in a way and they Mm. meticulously go through the RHS manual and position everything at exactly the number of inches apart that the RHS manual says, having dug in the precise amount of whatever sort of compost or or grit or whatever it is that that particular plant likes. And Mm. I suspect they have a lot of success, but that sounds quite stressful to me. (laughs) I tend to be much more um, relaxed possibly too relaxed sort of grow so i've had many failures as a result um i think oh well brassica well no my my main my main blind spot when it comes to growing is cauliflowers oh. i love cauliflowers so much i would eat them weekly but i cannot grow them for love nor money I try every year and it's become a sort of ritual that I try every year, almost in the full knowledge that I won't need to make very much space in the bed for them because (laughs) they'll never make it. And it makes me feel really bad because I think, I mean, they're not an easy plant to grow. It's not like slinging a lettuce in the ground or Mm. or a radish and waiting for it to happen. But I feel bad because they're so undervalued and they're Mm. so cheap in the supermarkets. And honestly, anyone who can grow a cauliflower, let alone commercially, deserves a medal as well as a (laughs) decent price for that cauliflower, particularly organically. I mean, I don't know how they do it. So I've just it's an annual failure, the cauliflower (laughs) harvest.
0: (laughs) You'll have one year, though, where it will be the surprise. You won't have left any space for it and then you'll end up with loads of cauliflowers
2: that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I had one one year that kind of almost made it to full term. It was looking beautiful, if a little bit small. And then I think it must have just got a little bit cold because I came out into the veg patch the next day and it was all brown and gooey oh, on
0: top. so mm-hmm. disappointing.
2: No. So oh. disappointing. Do
0: well, you have, um, what can you do? Do you have a particular way that you would well let's let's say you will use your eventual cauliflowers we're going to be positive here um so what would be your favorite way to prepare them when you do get your first perfect cauliflower
2: oh well I love a cauliflower cheese but if it's my first perfect cauliflower then then that won't do because the cheese let's face it is center stage there, not the cauliflower (laughs) I think I would say there's a dish there's a combination of flavors that they use in um in italy mostly in venice quite a lot which is this lovely like sultana plus um capers plus uh, lemon plus pine nuts and sometimes some parsley as well and that all tossed together in some toasted breadcrumbs and it's got this lovely sort of sweet but sour vibe Mm -hmm. that T- uh, uh, scattered over the top of roast cauliflower. I mean, I could eat a whole cauliflower <laughs> <that way>. Just <laughs> delicious. That would be my that would be my star of the show kind of dish.
0: Yeah, mm, that sounds great. Making mm. me hungry now. <laughs> no, good. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> um, so moving on from failures to. Um, Looking at some little tips and tricks. Obviously, um, one of the things that can put people off of gardening sometimes is feeling like they don't have the time to commit a lot of hours in the day to gardening. Mm. Um, So do you have any little tips or tricks or sneaky little hacks to show people that you don't actually (laughs) need to be full time in the garden to get get good results?
2: Well, I'm not so sure it's a hack or a little hack but it saw a, it's a bit it's a bit of a broader way of just thinking about the vegetables so mm. when I first started growing I was so enthusiastic and I was like this is game changing it's changed my life I mean it was it was very exciting <laughs> to yeah. it. Um, and I just went a bit over the top uh, at the time, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall had this amazing scheme called Land Share, which would hook you, which was would hook up people who wanted to grow with people who had spare land. Yeah, and I ended up, and I did it. It's closed now. It's such a shame, but I did it, and I ended up with this huge plot in this farmer's field, and it was about fifteen minutes away, and it was. I should have guessed it was farm was called Stone Farm and um. it was in at the village of <laughs> N Stone. And it was like ninety percent rubble okay. and ten percent soil. So I spent ages cultivating this land and like it was called the gulag, um, in our household and like just picking out the rocks and making it growable. And then when I did make it growable, it was a bit far away and it was because it was in such an exposed plot and there were field meadow fields and things around it it was just full of weeds all the time actually looking back at the pictures it was incredibly prolific given Mm. how challenging a space it was but what i'd done was forget the rule that i have now finally learned which is start small and start close in fact continue that way Mm. I find now that I've got a much smaller space and it's right outside my veg patch the time I spend growing is far less but the productivity like the amount of stuff I get probably isn't that much smaller than it was in this great rambling rock filled Mm -hmm. farm that I was on beforehand Mm. so because the time you spend is time sowing and picking and tying in and productive stuff rather than cultivating the land or picking out the bindweed or dealing with the pests or that kind of thing, because mm. it's right in front of you. The five minutes you spend after supper tying in the courgettes, well, or cutting back the courgettes or tying in the tomatoes or whatever, mm. doesn't feel like time spent gardening it just feels like something you pop out and do so
0: I think my big lesson was small and near is better than big and far away Mm. yeah yeah that makes sense and not having to factor in the time to travel there as well because I think after a long day if you have to then get in the car and go somewhere that can definitely put people off can't it
1: plus even if you're five minutes away if you're got to get there and then you've got to get your tools out and like it's not yeah. just five minutes is it it takes a lot yeah, exactly. longer than you think.
2: I mean the last veg patch I had um, before I bought the vegetables back home was literally opposite me it was like 300 yards away but even then you, you there's still a barrier like you don't nip up and nip across some water for 15 minutes on a Tuesday evening it just, um, and you harvest lots at once and bring it back for a few days, whereas it also completely changes the way you cook with your harvests as well, Mm. because now it's the veg patch I can see whilst I'm cooking. I'll be cooking away, and then I'll look up and go, gosh, that tarragon's going a bit wild. Oh, Mm. tarragon, that could go in this dish, and I pop out, and I pick a handful, and there it is in whatever I'm cooking at that time. Yeah. Um, so it's much more instantaneous. And now I really couldn't tell you where the growing stops and the cooking starts, mm-hmm. whereas before I very much could have done.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I also think having, even if there's only space for a couple of containers outside, I think also having something growing right, outside your door does actually afford you the opportunity to just spend time out there enjoying being out there as well not always feeling like you have to be active in the garden all the time just appreciating how far it's come in the season and to actually be out there and enjoy it
2: and whilst the kettle's boiling you wander out and look at how the beetroots coming along or and you're not doing yeah. anything you're just much closer to it and it also means that you can spot problems before they become bigger problems so yeah. I wandered out actually in fact I was having my breakfast outside the other day which was lovely and happened disappointingly to look at the kale to realize that the infestation of flea beetle further up the bed had made its way down to the kale oh, nice. but I can get onto us, uh, so annoying. I've never had it before, but I think it's the heat. Mm. So I'd, um, but at least I was right there, so I saw it the day they arrived, so I could do something about it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, which in in my world, because I like to grow as organically as as humanly possible for me, mm. I um that meant squishing a lot of garlic into some water and spraying it while swearing very loudly. <laughs> at the table, which hopefully, has worked. We'll see. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah also,
1: when it comes to um, sort of time saving hacks and things like that, the recipes on your blog mm. and also on your book are they are they all take your time recipes or is there some quicker ones for people that just want a speedy dinner but still celebrates the vegetables?
2: Yeah, they're really quick and simple. So if they're they're slow, then they're very hands-off slow. They're kind of stews and Mm. things like that. But I think when you're cooking vegetables, nothing ever takes particularly long anyway, does it? Um, And I get slightly on my high horse when people – I mean, I love things like MasterChef and that sort of show. But I think they've done – Cooking a bit of a disservice in the sense that they've made us all feel like good food has to be difficult and effortful Mm -hmm. and take lots of time and require lots and lots of skill. And I think when you, particularly when you grow your own, really all you need to do is put it on the plate. Do as nature has done the work for you. Do as little as you can to it. Put it on the plate, which isn't going to take very long. It will look beautiful and it will taste fabulous, and that's like the less intervention from the chef, the better. I think. Yeah, hundred percent. So yes, yeah, super quick and easy, um and yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I think we've got to get over the fact that it's um, it can look beautiful and be convivial and delicious. And it, it's okay that it hasn't taken you three hours of slaving away
0: as well, yeah. some consomme in the kitchen yeah I think a lot of that translates actually into the garden as well though um you don't have to have had a really difficult time at making something you know trying to make something grow exactly how you want it to for it to be a success you can have just thrown some seeds in and it have gone well and <laughs> that's yeah. good enough that's equally and, as good and that's
2: Fine. Yeah, I so agree. And I think that's another thing I would say if you're um, like, if you're new to growing, learn from me and that the first year I started growing, I was like, this is wonderful. I'm going to grow a melon. Like, what what was I thinking? I didn't have a greenhouse. I didn't have any growing experience. I started one melon from seed. Obviously, it didn't work. I was so disappointed, and I tended it so carefully. But, I mean, don't shoot don't shoot that high. Like, start with a radish yeah. Have a nice time growing, don't, yeah. and don't like descend into anxiety over the your heirloom melon that hasn't grown. Yeah.
0: yeah definitely I think there's there is a lesson that we've probably all learned in some way there yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: and I do slightly fear for people who um and I'm so glad it was the silver lining of lockdown was how many people got into um growing vegetables and sourdough which is my other passion but um but but, and dogs too which (laughs) i anyway um (laughs) but so many people got into growing vegetables and I feel now like we need to sort of We need to start a kind of support group for people who got an allotment during lockdown, had never grown anything before, spent all their time there, had one fabulous year of harvest and now have to go back to work and don't quite have the time and the weather's a bit weird and they haven't been quite as organised as they were before and now they're looking at their veg patch and a little bit disappointed with it and aren't quite finding the joy. I feel like we need Mm. to sort of scoop them up and go, it's okay, you can just chuck in some lettuce seeds and do nothing but that and it yeah. will still be a pleasure and a wonderful mm. thing to have done so definitely don't worry about it
0: and also the fact that yeah. you very very rarely have two growing seasons the same anyway that I think there's always the crop that you think yeah I can grow that really really well and then as soon as you think that the next year <laughs> yeah. you cannot grow it for love nor money
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> My, mine weirdly is courgettes this year yeah every year yeah. I've had like I have so many courgettes every year that on the on our village green every year is a little bucket full of courgettes and a sign that says, for the love of God, take some. Because <laughs> I have so many. Yeah. I don't know what to do with them all. But this year, first time ever, I've got enough. But it's not a glut at all. It's very disappointing. Have you
0: had people knocking on go your door away. now? Uh, where's the little basket of courgettes? Where are the please?
2: courgettes? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, actually. I wonder if they will. Right. <laughs> Maybe they're quite glad I'm not foisting courgettes. Not <laughs> every time you go to someone's house for dinner, and you arrive with a courgette as a gift. They go, "Oh, thanks." they're quite pleased that I'm not doing that.
1: <laughs> So looking um you know it sounds that you you do reflect a lot on your um your garden and, and what you've grown and things mm. but is there anything that you would pass on sort of lesson wise to our listeners you know something that that's really shaped the way that you grow Oh gosh
2: um oh yes well I would say and I think they kind of sit together um is no dig and organic mm. um And so I did an RHS horticulture course a couple of years ago. And don't get me wrong, I love a bit of RHS. They do wonderful things. Mm -hmm. But the maybe three lessons I had to have, and these are several hours at a time, each lesson on how to double dig my veg patch Mm -hmm. had me very grumpy by the end of it it's like, well this is this is all wrong isn't it here I am digging up this lovely soil structure and
0: yeah
2: messing around with the mycorrhizal and here I am digging up all these very happy worms that are doing their job beautifully and yeah. oh dear goodness so I I um in my garden veg patch i have raised beds and i very much do not dig them Mm. um which i appreciate can be a bit more expensive at first because you have to have compost for them every year and i've got a great compost bin or two but it's not enough to top Mm. the whole the whole garden every year so i do have to buy in um spent council um food waste compost. Yeah. Um, but at least that's sort of recycling, but it is a bit more expensive. So no dig is definitely where I would go. That would also save you lots of time and it's better for the um for the ecology of the soil anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and and organic, which I've always grown organically. I didn't start growing thinking I am going to be organic. Mm-hmm. I just realized I had a pest, bought a bottle of goodness knows what And then to get rid of it and then looked at the back and went, it's got all these warnings on it. And it says it's dangerous to marine life and not to be consumed. I'm like, but I'm about to spray it on something that I'm going to eat. It just, it just seems all wrong to me. It wasn't any great ethical consideration, though it did then become that. It was just a, I don't want to put that in my mouth. That's weird. So um, so I tend to net and swear a lot at the pigeons, which sometimes <laughs> works, but only momentarily. Um, and um, I mean, what I haven't done to try and get rid of the mole we had, which seems to have departed of its own accord at the moment. Um, but I would, I would always rather uh, prevent pests or distract them than uh, than spray
0: them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean we um we talk about this quite a, quite a lot on the podcast that that sort of thing is only becoming more and more important as as time goes on as well and I think it's a good thing that I think a lot more people are starting to think that way now as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's it will become a necessity and with food production that becomes quite a
2: big economic debate about mm-hmm. how do we how do we do all of this in a way that can still feed a world that is growing? And I I mean, I do not have the answer to that. But in my little 25, 30 square metres, then for me, it's definitely the only way of growing.
0: Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Um, Well, before we let you get back to the garden, um, would you just (laughs) be able to um, tell the listeners where they can find you online, where they can find your book, um, all of that sort of thing? Absolutely. Um well the book is called From the Veg Patch and it's
2: published by Pengo Penguin Random House and it's at all good bookshops and some of the bad online ones as well. So <laughs> fine. Um and um and you can also find me on, I'm busy on Instagram, and my handle is at gluts underscore gluttony. Clues in the name. <laughs> so uh, if you search Kathy Slack, it'll come up as well. And my website is kathyslack.com. I also, because everyone loves a podcast, yes. I have a podcast as well, which is called Tales from the Veg Patch and is weekly and 15 minutes that's all of oh. rural tranquility like essays and stories from from life in the garden and the restorative powers of nature lovely oh. and the
0: perfect little break in the day that's what I like to think yes. yeah <laughs> lovely well thank you so much for your time today it's been really lovely to chat to you
2: it's been so nice. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the magazine, so it's oh, um, it's great to, uh, to catch up with you guys. Thank, thank, you. You.
1: thank you. DC Thompson Shop has a wide range of garden plants, accessories and gifts. Save up to 50% with many collections. For a garden that takes care of itself with effortless, low-maintenance plants, The shop has lots of popular bulbs, bedding plants and ground cover perennials too. For real garden enthusiasts, there is a choice of more unusual varieties. However green your fingers, there is something for everyone. Visit dcthompsonshop.co.uk and place your order today.
0: Hi everyone! Hello! How are we doing? Mm. not too well thank you very much how are you good brand new series yes brand new vibes
3: (laughs) more (laughs) autumny vibes yes
0: (laughs) seasonal jack-o'-lantern vibes yeah so seasonal Mm. (laughs) yes um so speaking of seasonal i'm gonna dive straight in okay uh leaves yes (laughs) everywhere It's it's that time of year um I would say that so far it's been a bit slow on the leaf front in my garden. At the time of recording, mm. figgy still has most of its leaves, oh. even though a couple have started to fall now. Um, and I saw a feature on the Country Living website about um, different ways to reuse autumn leaves. Okay. Um, okay. Be that mulches, be that adding them to compost, make leaf mould... Um, I mean, they have a really fun one here, Turn Leaves Into Wall Art. Oh, that sounds nice. Um, So are you a crafter with garden items? Do you do anything with your spent leaves or do they just go in the, in the brown bin? I personally don't, but my mum is massively into crafts.
1: So she's been using leaves to sort of make impressions into sort of clay moulds and things. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, she's definitely been a lot more arty than me when it comes to leaves
3: <laughs> oh I wish I was that artistic I really do mine have been a brown waste job although yeah. having you know the knowledge that we do there are so much you know there's so much more we can do with them um yeah but I think I'll save the next batch like you said there haven't been many yet mm-hmm. but perhaps the next batch will go somewhere else
0: yeah. I did think it was going to have all been done by now because there was that point in sort of the middle of when summer had been really hot and everything was brown where I thought oh the leaves are are just going to come come off now but we seem to have had a little second wind almost. and I have to say it's
1: just lovely seeing all those like autumnal colours and I'm not normally I'm normally a massive summer person spring Mm. and summer are my favourites but actually Mm. so far we've had some decent autumnal I love
0: the autumn, yeah. I saw something online the other day that nearly made me cry. It was um, a list of things that, like, what is it they call, now Gen Z or whatever, Um, how you can tell if someone's a millennial. And one of the things was, are they really love autumn? And I was like, I feel attacked. I don't know. Uh,
1: There's definitely cosiness involved. And I do actually really like... Yeah, that, that feeling of change in the air and the coolness yeah. of the breeze mm. and
0: especially when you go on a walk, it's, it's lovely. Um, I love all of the seasons. I think by the end of one, you're so ready for the next one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the summer, I'm wishing for autumn and in the
3: winter, I'm wishing for spring and mm. summer. And I feel like we're never quite happy are we, with what we've got, but you can find a lot of time
0: to appreciate yeah. each one. I think we're lucky that we have all of them. Definitely. Because a lot of variety. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
3: definitely. Otherwise we'd be be fed up if we had the same thing all the time. I mean, but I say that because we're used to having different
0: seasons. And also it is a cornerstone of the British personality to talk about the weather and it does give us the opportunity (laughs) to do that, I suppose. (laughs) That's true, that's true. always something happening. (laughs) Um, So I feel like we all need to take inspo from Mama Pegram and actually do (laughs) things with our autumn leaves. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking... Workshop. Yeah. I'd like to make leaf, malt, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but I just feel like I don't have, as stupid as it sounds, I don't have anywhere to, like, put them. Keep a plastic, well, like, bin bag, or a black bin
1: bag somewhere, you Yeah,
0: mean. it just, because my garden's really long and thin, Yeah, it feels a bit like, where would I do it?
1: Yeah, mm. and obviously you don't want too near the house, because imagine it doesn't smell that great, mm. so... Yeah, it's a difficult one. Have you got a space behind the shed? or a
3: Potentially,
1: of?
0: yeah. We do have some general logs by the shed, but I suppose we could move those. Speaking of, continuing on the theme of
1: my mother, apparently, um, <laughs> she is a right one for making creations out of the natural world around her. And um, I think about a year ago, she got it in her head that she wanted to create a moss garden.
2: Ooh. Apparently, Ooh. if you search
1: for moss garden on Pinterest, you'll find these beautiful... Like mini gardens that are literally created by moss, anyway, she didn't have any moss really to hand, and I came home one day, and uh she was on a ladder like reaching over my neighbor's roof and scraping <laughs> that she had asked in, in advance if she could do this, but she was taking moss off of my my neighbor's roof and making this moss garden, and it was actually really, really pretty um and actually quite easy to mold pieces of moss together. And could make quite a lovely feature. I'm not sure if any wildlife would really enjoy it. Maybe some insects. I'm now
0: looking at this on Pinterest. Yeah. These are very, Did you very take a picture pretty? of Mama Pegram's one?
1: I'm sure I will have one somewhere,
0: well, we'll yeah. will have to put it out so people can <laughs> see. Oh, it, it just all looks like it's too skilled for I my like ability. Actually, yeah,
1: she found it quite easy. But yeah, that's uh, that's the last little oh. tip if you want any... Uh, to bring sort of you can bring it inside and people have literally have living walls inside Mm. don't they and people use moss for that so you could bring the outside in if you wanted to.
0: I would say listeners please do let us know if you would like a regular (laughs) mama pegrams craft corner (laughs) section because I think I want this on the podcast
1: oh I love it (laughs) but speaking of what wildlife and the bugs and things like that in autumn um jimmy doherty actually released a little um piece on yahoo news about how to support the bees during autumn and i think during spring and summer we probably think of them a lot more readily than we do as the colder months come in but they still do need our support um and so yeah so he was basically saying that um I- Ivy apparently is a great giver of um, nectar for bees at this time of the mm. year. Um, so it's open flowered varieties of the floral like plants and things and create hibernating areas because um, there's obviously certain species of bees that do hibernate in yeah. the colder months. And yeah, give them plenty of untouched, untidied areas of your plot to give them that little hiding space and, and protection mm. really from the
0: elements so, yeah well that absolutely. was a really
1: important message definitely because
0: as you say you do think about it when you see them all over the shop in summer mm. yeah but in autumn it probably where do they go it does yeah yeah, yeah. into their hibernating exactly. spots, maybe Which so we, we need to be, provide yeah. Um <laughs> i think that would be a really nice project for autumn mm.
1: yeah yeah. yeah something to keep you busy yeah
0: definitely and know you're giving something back yeah that's it for the garden and the bees. Yeah. That's lovely. Well, my story is
3: swaying a little bit off the garden path, <laughs> if you will excuse. <laughs> yes, another. Oh path. no. Oh no, What's happening. Oh, I'm so disappointed <laughs> by myself. <laughs> um I was reading on the sun, um there was an article about a really, really, really expensive diamond. Um, that was discovered in a pile of rubble um, by a girl playing in her uncle's garden in the 1980s. And (gasps) it's... Did he know it was there? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it was discovered, just, you know, just discovered by the the young girl. Um, And it turned out to be an 890-carat rough diamond. (gasps) (gasps) Oh, my God. Um, It was then sort of crafted into a pear-shaped jewel. And it looks very pretty if this is a picture of the actual one um, that I'm looking at. And it's actually being called a golden canary diamond. So if that oh. just doesn't make
1: it sound very grand, I don't so know So I don't know if you have that information available Do you, but was it buried by someone else a long time ago? Or I'm guessing it was well, naturally there?
3: It says it was discovered in a pile of rubble. So I don't know if that's just... It's being
1: sort of slung there or it could have been... Yeah. I mean, or perhaps knocked, they're knocking down a house and, yeah. it, you, you know, people hide valuable things in strange places and houses, well, I suppose, don't yeah. I Yeah But, so. I
0: mean, in terms of things to find in the garden that's yeah. pretty up there i would say and in terms yeah. of
1: things to lose
0: <laughs> yeah yeah someone somewhere
1: is like where oh and after did i put that
3: yeah yeah and then <laughs> you see on the news ah, oh. and apparently it's one of the world's largest and most flawless diamonds that's, that's been found that so, far. Mad, so did they have to like so.
0: give it to a museum or something or did they get to keep it yes well it actually is going to be auctioned
3: um in new york mm. in december The bids start at $1, apparently, but I assume there's going to be a lot of
0: bids on that one. (laughs) uh, Hold on, just one thing that I just thought. You said a rough diamond. Yeah. When it was found. Yeah. uh, What? so what are you asking i don't really know (laughs) i think so have they like are they auctioning it off in its state or have they've they've, like prettied it up and made it into a pear shape they've made it into
3: a pear shape yeah they've they've kind of so the person that threw the
0: diamond into the rubble might not have known it was a diamond
1: yeah perhaps yeah
0: they could could well have just (gasps) thought oh
1: you know this is like only fools and horses but in reverse (laughs) when they don't get the fortune at the end. oh wow it was
3: actually yeah it's on dis- it sounds like it's in on display in dubai at the moment mm. um but yeah they're they're estimating that it's going to be sold for at least 13 million pounds wow. so so that is a very big price and i, I, love- I mean sorry Gardner's- i've now just
1: got Delboy and rodney fainting in that <laughs> <auction> room <laughs> in my head <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs>
3: It just, yeah. I mean, it does. It does pay, doesn't it, to keep your eye open because well, who knows yeah. what you will what
0: find in a garden? I'm going to be um, wearing my glasses for my gardening next time. But, <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know about either of you, but as a child, I used to imagine finding like buried treasure in my garden, Did and you? that is the ultimate mm. example of that. I actually it? finding oh, yeah. buried treasure. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's
3: crazy. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Um, I haven't really. Found anything worth a lot of value in my garden um over the years? Have you, have you sort of found anything of
0: note? <laughs> Perhaps a diamond or a, a ruby? No, I mean, I'm sure that I've talked about this before on here, but um when we first moved in and we're sorting out the garden, I dug up like an old horseshoe, like a tiny oh. little old horseshoe, which was quite a sweet find. It sounds like lucky. Some yeah. bones, which you know Mm. not so sure on yeah Um, and then a a hidden path that sounds more exciting than it was it was basically Mm. a brick path that someone had covered over so it was like oh okay a path under the grass but I don't think any of these things I mean I don't think the horseshoe was secretly hiding (laughs) multiple (laughs) precious jewels within it but maybe maybe I maybe I should try and find it again and have a look yeah have it appraised how about you
1: Nothing really noteworthy in that regard, but the only thing that really stands out to me as a, especially as a child I used to love a love a bit of digging owls digging yeah. owls in the garden <laughs> the
0: Digging owl and
1: uh, <laughs> I came across the <laughs> oh gosh, a cockchafer beetle, <laughs> but the lar the larvae or the, yeah. the the worm maggot thing and but they are nice. so yeah. chunky and wriggly and st- it it's burnt into my mind mar- and obviously I've seen them since now, but I remember seeing it as a child for the first time and just being absolutely horrified what, did you think that lived it in was? the ground.
0: like an alien?
1: Well, I I think at the time, I'm a Celebrity was on. Oh. So obviously I'd seen the Widgety Grub, so I thought it was a Widgety Grub. You're in Australia They've got those little, and I've, I've Googled it, you got, they can't bite you, but they're like little antennae, but they look like little pincers at the top of their oh. face. So I thought it was going to like nip me or yeah. bite me. So I was quite frightened of <laughs> it, so I just buried it back over and ran off. <laughs> Which <laughs> mean, but no I couldn't
3: I don't do you know what I this sounds disgusting but I think if it was something like a mealworm Mm. you know they do those ones they sort of like fry them barbecue Mm. flavor them only because I say that because when I was in school in my geography class they did bring in some samples of them once to try and eat and I never did at the time but I always remember watching people who said that they weren't that bad they were actually quite tasty (laughs) and ever since I've always been interested to see what a flavoured
0: mealworm would, would taste like although the, the idea isn't very appealing no i mean no. there's a tiny part of me that's tempted to say let's order some and do an on pod taste test <laughs> but, you know we could do this but do you think yeah. it's the fact that it looks like like you couldn't eat like go i'm a celeb on that and eat a big slimy juicy bug oh i couldn't do that no if it was you know now they're making burgers and stuff out of ground up bugs if it was like looked like a burger but was made of ground Mm. up bugs could you eat it? i don't think think it's the
1: idea Mm. of it although i just realize i'm a massive liar because (laughs) i think it was about two years or so ago i was on a run with my boyfriend and i was running down a hill and all of a sudden as obviously you're breathing in through your nose out through your mouth a bug flew into my mouth to the back of my throat Uh, and i think i swallowed it because there was nothing i could do i tried not to but yes i think i have consumed a bug in my life and i would not recommend
0: (laughs) No, it wasn't tasty. It's traumatic.
3: (laughs) Mm, I've had similar experiences and I've... Shall not, be, shall not be named oh big blue bottle fly oh, <gasps> oh. And, and, no. yeah I didn't swallow it though I, oh. I was like what's that in my mouth I'm so, I'm so sorry if you're squeamish in advance anybody listening just, just fast we forward we should have put a warning year, on shouldn't <laughs> we yeah absolutely <laughs> it's really gross and I just remember running it was when I was in primary school on my school field and I'm running and running what's that in my mouth I take it out and there is literally <gasps> a blue bottle fly <gasps> looking at me on its back and I just uh. I, I will
0: remember that for the rest of my days uh, it was yeah. horrific because I mean they're not They don't go places that... Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised I wasn't ill after that. (laughs) Yeah, but um, maybe it's given you like a crack in immune system. Mm. You you never know. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) So, we can put it out to polls. Do we do a... Bug taste test. We'll be asking you.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure our readers would enjoy the the crisp and the crunch that would come with
3: Mm. listening
1: to that podcast. It's that
3: kind of ASMR, isn't it? That some people really, really get on with, and some people, like me, absolutely despise. Yeah, (laughs) the (laughs) crunchy noises aren't for me.
0: We'll we'll come back to you on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. well. Well, I mean, I will let you two get back to it, and I have some. on the plot. Sounds good. Lovely. If you live in a milder part of the country, you can start thinking about sowing overwintering peas and broad beans now, which will give you a head start on the new season. You can also plant out spring cabbages, but do put some netting over the young plants to protect them from pigeons. Make sure the netting is pulled taut so the pigeons don't get tangled up in it. If you've been growing asparagus, now is a good time to cut back the foliage. Put the spent foliage on the compost heap and add a good mulch around the plants. Ground will also need to be prepared for new fruit trees, so it's a good time to get organised with what you'll be putting where and getting your soil in good condition. We hope you have a great week in the garden and until next time, happy growing! Thank you for listening to this series of the dirt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for free so you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you'd
3: rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to spread the word to your plot neighbours. Plus, we have an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for listeners of the dirt.
0: All you need to do is visit growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash GYO52, that's GYO and the number 52. Or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GYO 52 to receive three issues for just £5. That's a saving of a whopping 76%.
3: Every issue of Grow Your Own is packed with gardening advice, expert tips and tricks, and jobs to tick off your list. And each magazine comes with a wonderful bonus gift, such as selections of seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms.
0: And on a final exciting note, remember to get in touch if you or any of your gardening friends have some great stories of successes and fails on the plot. You could be a guest on the next series.